Good morning, once again. Good to see all of you. Who's ready for Christmas? Yeah? Who's not ready for Christmas? <laughs> Who's got finals? Alright, well, let's pray right now. We'll pray for you. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this time. We do lift up the, the preparation that goes on in all of our lives, Lord, for Christmas. And for those that are just busy um, getting things ready, Lord, whether it's for trips out of town or uh, buying gifts and really putting thought into that and, and, and really wanting it to be a season of joy. Lord, I pray for, for those that are um, preparing for finals. Lord, we have many students that are part of our church and really invest themselves here. And we, we pray for them right now. We just lift them up to you. We ask that you'd help them to really retain all that they've been learning and studying, Lord. And help them not to just take in information for the sake of passing tests, but Lord, I pray that you would help them to internalize the things that really are going to help them to be those who would contribute to this world and to your kingdom, God. Bless them, God. Help them, God, be successful in their finals this week, Lord. And keep them safe. I know many students are traveling. Many of us are traveling this Christmas season. I just pray for safety, God, as we travel around, heading home, or visiting family and friends. Lord, just you watch over us, and we ask you for help right now, God, as we, just as we open your word and really try to continue to understand your plan and your purpose um, in the area of generosity, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, all through this series, we've been referring to God as this generous giver. God is the one who so generously gave to us His Son. And We've been talking about how God is the giver. He's the one who's not a taker, but He's the giver who... He, the verse, Ephesians 3.20, that, that He really has given us more than we could ask or more than we could even imagine. God has been immeasurably kind to us. And so what, what motivates God's generosity? What motivates God's generosity? I want you to look at John 3.16. And go ahead and pull out your listening guide. Here's what motivates His generosity. It's generosity flows from love. God's generosity, it flows out of His character, His love. He has poured out so much toward us. Look briefly at a very familiar verse, John 3.16. This is the good news in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever should believe in Him, or whoever believes in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. God's generosity... You know, it flows from the fact that He loves us. This is part of His character. He is loving. And it moved Him to give generously. And rather than just simply saying the words, Hey, I love you, creation. I love you. The people that I made, I love you. Um, He demonstrated that through a major act of generosity. The giving of His Son. Let's read the account from Matthew of Jesus' birth. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. And this is a familiar story. This is the birth of Jesus as given in Matthew's account. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is uh, Matthew 1.18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And this, this the culture of Mary and Joseph was a culture of arranged marriages. Okay? This was a culture where contracts would be um, negotiated for marriages. And so if, if, if 
I wanted my daughter to be married off to, to this man. Then there was contracts being negotiated back and forth. And so Mary and Joseph were arranged in that culture to be married. And they were in this betrothed state. Okay, This is the state they were in. And in the Jewish uh, betrothal customs, Couples who were betrothed would actually be calling each other husband and wife. So they would even be called by others, husband and wife. But they would be in this period of time, like a one-year period, where they were not yet um, living together. They were in this one-year period, and it was really a testing period of their faithfulness to one another and to their purity to one another. They were to not live together. They weren't to, um, you know be with each other, as it says up here, before they had come together, they hadn't consummated their marriage. So this was in their one-year period of betrothal. Okay, That's kind of, as we read this passage, you have to kind of read that, you have to keep that in the back of your mind as you're reading this. So, again, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she, they hadn't consummated their, their wedding yet, or their marriage, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now this is a problem. Because this is the period in time when th- that's the question mark. Is this person going to be faithful? And so, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, at this point, when someone betrothed, when a woman who was betrothed to be married was found to be with child, what would happen is that the law would require that she would be brought before the Jewish authorities and stoned to death. And so, but what we see here is, you really see Joseph's love for Mary here. He chose not to create a public scandal. He chose not to have Mary drugged before the authorities and then put to death. Instead of that, we see a different picture. He's, he's kind of considering, what should I do? Verse 20, but as he considered these things. So we see how, just how much Joseph genuinely loved Mary. And how he must have been if you put yourself in, in his shoes for a moment, how he must have been broken hearted over, over this news. Okay, Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, like, what am I going to do? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary for your wife. So, continue to go through the process. Continue towards a big wedding day. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So they're to have a child that was born of the Holy Spirit. Give him the name Jesus. The word Jesus, the name is, is really the Greek name of the Hebrew name Joshua. So the Hebrew name Joshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, it means the Lord saves. And so the Greek form of that was Jesus. That's the name you would give him. Why? Well, Here's why. For he shall, or for he will, save his people from their sins. His purpose. God's people needed a Savior. So God sends Jesus. The Lord saves through a person. He's sending his Son. And then it says this. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. God's solution to mankind's trouble was not to take the trouble out of the world, but to step into the world in the person of Jesus, to dwell with them, to live among them. He would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This whole, uh, this, is, this is called the incarnation, that God took on flesh and he, he actually dwelled with us. That shows 
All sorts of things about God's care for us that He would give of Himself in that way. And so, what we see is that love gives. It's more than just saying, hey, I love you, world that I made. No, God loves the world that He gave. And out of that love, through sending Jesus, Jesus is the one who would redeem by His own blood a people who were in great need of God's of, of forgiveness and a covering for their sin. This was not some cheap gift. This was a costly gift. This was something precious. And so the incarnation is really the pinnacle of all of God's gifts. That is so true what Bruce said earlier. This is, this is the best gift ever given. This is the pinnacle of all gifts given. And it's not the only time, though, that He gave. If you, if you read through the Bible, you see God gives and gives and gives. Just to highlight a couple things. He gave you life. I mean, he, he didn't have to give us life. He gave us life. He gives us air to breathe. He keeps us alive. He gives health. He gives shelter. He gives protection. He gives resources. You know, He gives relationships. We see that. God, you know, Adam was all alone in the garden. He forms Eve. And he sees this need for companionship, for relationship. God provides community, basically, in the first part of the Bible. Then when Adam and Eve sin, um, God provides forgiveness of sin. He actually provides a covering for them. He takes, it says, he, he provides a garment of skin. Something was, something was slaughtered. Something, an animal was slaughtered in order to provide a covering of sin. But that covering of sin was really a foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ. But even in the Old Testament, you see this whole system of sacrifice and offering where God is providing a way for people's sin to be covered. And, you know, He gives protection from enemies. He gives deliverance. He gives refuge. And on and on and on. We could go through and just talk about, look at all the ways God has given. He is so kind and generous. And so our hope for this series is to provide somewhat of a backdrop of God's generosity towards us so that we would be a group of people who would reflect this aspect of God's character, His generosity. That we would, you know, we're, we're called to bear God's image. He's made us in His image, and He wants us to actually be people who would bear His image before the world. What that means is so that people, as they see your life, that they would say, wow, that really, those Christians, they sure, they sure give us a picture of what God's like. Like I'm watching their lives, and I read these things in the Bible about God and I actually see those things in their lives. That's what, that's what God would want. He wants this, it to be that we would bear His image in the way that we live, that we would be like a mirror reflecting to the world or that we would be reflecting to the world just some things about God, how He is, what He's like. Now, there's limitations um, in that. But in this whole area of generosity, this is what we've really turned our focus to is how can we be more generous as a group of people and God he is actually working behind the scenes through your generosity and I want to look at that this morning let's look at this answer this question how does generosity work look at Proverbs chapter 11 verses 24 and 25 Proverbs 11 24 and 25 how does generosity work let's look at this verse it says this one gives freely yet grows all the richer Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. So I want to break this down. How does generosity work? First, it takes action. I mean, just very simply breaking this down, but it takes action. 
the verse starts and it says this. It says, one gives. Generosity is more than a feeling or it's more than even a word. It actually involves releasing something from what I have. It, it, it means re- opening up my hand and releasing a gift in some way. It op- it, you know, it's, it's letting it actually go. For me, I still write a few checks. It's actually like writing the check and not holding on. It's actually letting it go. I know many of you, you don't, you've never written a check in your whole life. It's like you, you, you don't pay bills through that. You don't, you don't exchange money in that way. You do it all online or through your phone. And, but whatever it is, it's releasing resources out of my house, in a sense, to help accomplish God's mission or to help meet a need. So when you give here, you're helping to accomplish God's mission through the ministry of a local church. If you, if you see a need out in the world and you give to meet that need, then others are blessed and love. Now, it's one thing to, to aspire to be generous, and it's another thing to actually take action. That's, that's the difficult part, is actually taking action and doing something with that motivation. And the act of giving actually gets the ball rolling. Look at, look at a parallel in Romans 8, verse 32. Romans chapter 8 is, is a chapter of the Bible, a very important chapter of the Bible that talks about God's plan in saving us and how He actually put this plan together. He chose us. He calls us to Himself. We respond and then He actually, He actually keeps us together. And He brings us to a point where He takes us home to heaven. And Romans 8, it kind of lays out God's perfect plan in what He's doing in the world. Look at this. So the act of generosity gets the ball rolling. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Jesus not sparing His Son, that opened up more of God's generosity to us. This, the incarnation, it ushered in, in a very personal way, a relationship. It started through this gift of, you know, this generous gift. God's heart was expressed to us through, through giving. He didn't spare His own Son. What does that mean? He didn't, he didn't withhold, basically, what was needed for us. This, Romans 8.32, it actually parallels a, an idea in the Old Testament. Genesis 22. I'm not going to show you the verse up here, but Genesis 22, you have Abraham, who God asked Abraham at one point to offer up his only son, Isaac, as an act of faith. And so, he's an old man. His wife is an old woman. God provided a child for them, a son for them, to carry on their line and to keep his promise to this man. At a very old age, though, And then God says, I want you to take your son, your one and only son, whom you love, take him up to a mountain and offer him there. And so Abraham, he journeys to this mountain. He takes his his son, who would be a young boy at this point, and he lays him on the altar. He ties him down. He's got a knife. He's ready to kill his son. And it says that God stopped him at the last moment. An angel stopped him, provided a ram, to offer in place of his son. And the angel said, because you did not spare your son, you didn't, basically, you didn't withhold what I asked you to give, but you offered him up. This is what God has done. The picture there of Abraham and Isaac is a picture, kind of, it's pointing us towards what God would do through Jesus, that he would offer up his only son and say, God, I trust you. As we, as we give gifts, really, the active part is us saying, God, I, I trust you. 
I'm willing to take the big risk here that you're going to take care of me. You know what's best here. It is very difficult, though, to take the action step. Back to Proverbs 11.24. It says this, One gives freely. That word freely, it, it, it requires a certain attitude. A lot of times, if we're honest, giving can be a wrestling match, isn't it? Generosity can be this huge wrestling match. A tug of war in our heart. The word freely in the, in the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, has to do with scattering or distributing seeds. Kind of like you would distribute seeds out freely. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but um, I've seeded my lawn before. And I have a lawn seeder. It's about this big. It's got a little crank arm on it. You, you pour from the bag lawn seed into this, this little green thing, and you just walk around your lawn. And it's kind of a joyful experience, I think, because you're just walking around and seeds are just flying everywhere. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody doing this, but, you know, I'm just, I love seeding my lawn. It's kind of a fun experience. It goes really quick. I wish it lasted longer, but it it just goes out really quickly. But it's somewhat of an out-of-control experience. Seeds are just flying freely. They're just, some are getting on the lawn, some are getting in the gutter, some are on the pavement. Some get in the planters, and you're like, I'm going to have to pull those weeds out later, or that grass out of the planter later. But seeds are just flying ever. I cannot imagine if I tried to control the location of every seed. Like literally, if I got down on my hands and knees with a bag of seed, one there, one there, one there, my wife would be, Josh, you've been out there for days seeding the lawn. And, and I like exact detail. So you would think that would be my style is like, putting things in exact rows because I like rows and things like that. I like boxes and staying in the lines. But when it comes to seeding my lawn, it's kind of a joyful experience. I'm just kind of like cranking that arm and things are flying out there everywhere. Now the picture here of this word one gives freely is that picture of someone just just giving as often as they can in a sense. It's like just being so generous and, 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 and excited to do it. There's not this control. Sometimes my attitude, if I'm honest, and our attitude at points can be, I'm trying to control the location of everything. Yeah, I want to give, but how do I know, you know what's going to happen next? How do I know if, if it's going to make a difference? How do I know if, if we're going to have enough? And what, what if this? And on and on and on. And I can grumble with a bad attitude, but God would rather that I would actually just choose the right attitude that trusts Him and say, God, I want to give to you freely. Or I want to give to needs that are out there freely as often as I can. That's, that's the heart of this, those first few words there. And then he goes on and says this. When you're generous, it brings God's blessing. You see that. One gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Now, this is, this is a paradox. This seems like a paradox, doesn't it? It seems backwards to think in this way, that if I give freely... Somehow there's a boomerang effect and I somehow grow. I grow all the richer. What does that mean? How is it that a person that gives freely has plenty? It would seem that giving would cause a net loss. Like, I lose. <laughs> I give, I lose. But it's, in God's economy, there's this generosity effect that brings back God's blessing into our lives. Some try to use this idea to, to force God's hand to bring back financial blessing only. God, I gave, and so why am I not growing all the richer financially? Why is my bank account not just swelling? I gave freely. You said this would happen. Why is that not? Well, it's because the, the idea here of growth, of rich growth, is not just 
tied to finances and our bank accounts. We're a whole person. You, you are, you're emotional, you're relational, you're spiritual, you are, there's a financial component. There's all these parts of our lives where God wants to grow the whole person. Some people try to manipulate people to give in order to gain God's blessing and like we can somehow manipulate God into making us all rich. And that, that's not what this verse is saying. But there, in God's economy, as we give, there's a boomerang effect, boomerang effect to where God's blessing comes back around. God's blessing simply means His favor towards us. It's God's favor towards us in a variety of ways. But this is a very interactive part of where our faith is, is experienced. Now, I look for opportunities to explain this principle to people. I want my children to experience this to where when they give, that God takes care of them, God blesses them, they get to experience God's goodness and God's favor to them. And recently, God provided an opportunity, like a teaching moment in our home. My oldest son was um, saving um, some money up for a Nerf gun. And he, he, was, he has a million Nerf guns already. Doesn't need another Nerf gun, but he's like, Dad, I got to get this this new gun. It's more of a close range, you know. You can you can easy access, you know. And if you're in a Nerf battle, you need different options, okay? And so, so he he picks out this gun, and he's like, you know, Dad, I want to show you this gun. So we look online. It's 19.99, okay, all o- all over the place. 19.99. Actually, he said he said it was 20 bucks, okay, and. I said, okay, great. How much do you got? And he said, Dad, I've got, I've got enough. I've got 20 bucks. And he gets an allowance for the chores that he does. And then he, he was reminded by his mother that, that he had committed to give um, to God. And he actually had given, he actually said, I wanted to give more than just my tithe to God. I want to give $5. And this was prior to this conversation. He had already committed days before, maybe weeks before, that he wanted to give $5. And so he was in this wrestling match at that point like oh what do I do what do I do and this was this was a great teaching opportunity well maybe trust God and give the gift or maybe what are you going to do Gabe and so he's he's wrestling with it and he decides I'm going to give that to God I said I was going to give this to God so he puts it in a tithe envelope we go online because I hadn't yet looked online. We go online. Let's see if we can find this thing. And we find it on sale. $5 off. And, uh, and it's at Target. $5 off. And, and I'm like, Gabriel, you won't believe it. But over here, it's $5 less than everywhere else. And we can go there now because it says it's in stock. He's like, oh, my gosh. And so we get there and the store's got it listed for 20 bucks still. And I'm like, oh, what do we do? So we get my phone out, and I go show it to the customer service lady, and she's like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. And they, they mark it down. He buys his Nerf gun. And then I asked him, what did you learn from that whole experience? He's like, I mean, it was taken care of. Now, those little teaching moments of God taking care of us, I've experienced that as an adult so many times, not with Nerf guns being provided. But I have seen God come through, and so many of you have as well. To where, but you gotta—you actually have to release the resources freely, and you have to—you have to trust Him with it. When God starts doing that in your life in increasing measure, you begin to see just how real God is, and how He interacts with us in the real world. In the real world, and as we trust Him to grow us in generosity, 
He just grows us. This is what it's saying. He grows the whole person. It's not just in the area of finance. He grows us. We experience this rich growth throughout our life. The flip side is also true. Stinginess brings ruin. When you're stingy, it brings ruin. The verse goes on and says, Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Another withholds the things he should give, only suffers want. The person who withholds generosity will only find themselves in need. Now, if you're in need, does this mean that you're not a generous person? No, not necessarily. But you are going to want to check this out. You're going to want to check this out because sometimes I've been the cause of my very own financial suffering and pain. When the financial peace is gone, sometimes I need to check out my checkbook. And I need to look through and take an account for how have I stewarded these resources that God has provided. I need to check out stinginess. I need to check my heart for greed. I need to check my, my, my patterns of, of living. Am I living with a close-handed pattern? Um, sometimes I've found that connection. And I see those things and I can see my financial peace is gone. And, and I, I start seeing financially things being really disrupted. And this is really the opposite of, of giving freely. Withholding is really the picture of just being closed-fisted and then really struggling ourselves. That's not what God intends. And again, it's not, it's not reflective of the God who gave when we do that. Here's a parallel idea again, Luke 9.24. I want, I want to show you these parallels because these are pictures, again... We're to be like those people that, that others would look, others from the world would look at and say, wow, they, they really act like that God that I read about. So look at, look at this verse. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And Jesus in Luke 9, he's calling people to follow him, but he's saying, look, before you follow me, you better count the cost so that you don't follow and then want to turn away. Count the cost before you follow me. If you're trying to save your life, whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We think that the way to gain in life is to hang on with a death grip super tightly to all of our stuff, all of our lives. But we find that that approach to living leads to loss. The tight, closed grip of, of things, of possessions, of resources, it, it's true as well. When we do that with our whole life, what Jesus is saying in Luke 9, the context there is really about your life. If you're trying to hold on to your life, that, that, takes the, that takes away the real life. Real life comes through sacrifice is what Jesus is saying. If you want to call, come and follow me, it's, you're offering your life up. Finally, this last point here comes from verse 25. The generous just continue to be a blessing. Verse 25 reads, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. You get this picture of someone trying to water others' lives, in a sense, refreshing others' lives. As you go and try to refresh other people, and as you are generous with what God has given you, as you try to bless others, you find the boomerang boomerang effect. It just keeps coming back around. This is a pattern. This sets up for us to experience a life of refreshment and a life of joy. And this is really encouraging to experience a pattern like this where you get to be a blessing for years and years to people and you start advancing God's work. I want, I want to share with you how you've been a blessing as you've been generous with resources through our church. Here's just a handful of ways you've been generous. We've, we've had a series of movie nights in the summer. And here's pictures of our movie nights. Some of you were there. You helped set up. You know, if you gave 
then, you know, resources go to events that we put on like this. We attracted between three, I think 300 and 600 people. We had three of these, and the last one we had around 600 people come to our movie night in the park. We showed, I think this was like Big Hero 6, and we had just hundreds of people come out, some of them unchurched, some from the community. I'm sure many of them are churched, but there's those in in the community that came out to these things that that were unchurched and and maybe looking for church, and, and some have plugged into our church now. And so, but that comes through your generosity you get to be a part of that we have the orange crustable here's a picture of the orange crustable many of you helped out with this event there's again hundreds of people that came out to this where we just got to serve and have a great kind of time of fun in our community and we got to meet people we got to just uh, do some square dancing kids were having a blast running and playing on the inflatables but again this is made possible through the resources that, that come in through our giving. Another thing is every single week we, we serve in our church 75 kids in our children's ministry called the Kid Zone. In the gymnasium, the nursery, we have about 75 kids. And our aim is to come alongside parents in training their kids to become wise adults who would really contribute to God's uh, kingdom. And we're trying to help in our Kid Zone. We're trying to help come alongside parents through things like Coaching on bad attitudes, trying to help kids learn how to have the right attitudes, how to battle the wrong thoughts. And so, again, our giving, your giving, it supports that. We recently, we built out a, uh, a new office. We converted a dance studio into the OCC church office, and it kind of looks like a warehouse inside there. And we've got, we've got four offices, we've got a loft for storage, we have a receptionist area, and then we have... We fit 115 people in this place for our Orange Crest training rally. And again, that, you know, the, the dollars that it costs to build out a place like this, again, that was provided through your generosity. Uh, we, we've, we're training a lot of people. I have a, put a huge focus on training. Here's a picture of our North Star. This is a lay leadership training where people walk through an aggressive pace, the Bible. They get through the Bible in a pretty, a short period of time. There's 30 weeks, I think, to get through the Bible, and yeah, it's 18 through the New Testament and 12 through the or 18 through the Old Testament, 12 through the New, and it's it's an aggressive journey through the Bible. But then there's a lot of coaching in leadership and in character development. We do a lot regarding like our philosophy of ministry. We're trying to train leaders in our church how to really work together and be on the same page. Um, we're training people in another thing called the Antioch Project. And here's another picture. Antioch Project is a, is a five-year ministry training. It's graduate-level training for people that want to do uh, ministry with their lives, career ministry. And so and we've actually partnered with a local or with a seminary, Northwest Baptist Seminary, who is granting full Masters of Divinity degrees um, for students who would want to do their Antioch Project work along with some additional work through the seminary and Again, we're pouring resources into uh, people who want to help plant churches or, or even just lead in church life. And so another thing we gave towards this year was we gave $20,000 to build a home in the jungle for a missionary couple. And it, that home has not been built yet, but that's the couple, the Rimstads. They're living in Papua New Guinea. Many of you gave to help them get there and then they've we raised half of the cost for their housing needs and, and kind of startup needs. Um, so, then one final slide is, or a couple slides are some baptisms. 
just God is at work changing people's lives and people that are coming to know Him and, and going public with their faith. Here's another photo. A couple of our recent baptisms. And there, there's a lot more we could highlight as far as how does my generosity help. But these are just a handful of slides. Just God's making a difference in people's lives. It's not just been business as, as usual. He's really at work here through you as you've adopted a generous lifestyle. Yet there's still more to be done. There's still more people to be reached. And God wants us to just keep increasing in our trust in Him. And so, moving forward in generosity, it ultimately requires trusting that God is going to take care of me. This is at the heart of generosity. It's a trust issue. Do I trust that God's going to take care of me? This was modeled and established by God. He is this way and He's told us to be generous as well. And since this is the case, God will take care of us as we do it. Just real briefly, I want to share with you a story and then we're going to close. A picture here of a bird, a mother and its baby. And there's a book by a man named Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote this book called Run with the Horses. And in the book, Run with the Horses, he tells about a time where he was watching a mother swallow trying to teach her three young chickens or chicks to fly. And the way that the mother would do this is it would just push them off of a long dead tree branch. And so Peterson said he was watching this this mother and her three chicks on this on this skinny branch. And what the mother would do is she she would just come alongside the three of them who were at the end of the branch and she began to shove them until the one on the end you know, fell off. Well, somewhere between the branch and the water that was below, the chick began to fly. And then the same thing happened. The mother kept moving closer until the next one fell off. And again, the second thing, you know, the second chick, it it learned to fly. Now, the third chick, Peterson writes, put up a real fight. It was like digging in. It wasn't going anywhere. So the mother's starting to push and then there becomes this scuffle between the bird and 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 the baby. But at a certain point during the scuffle, the chick loosed its grip enough, loosened its grip enough, just enough to, to where it swung down and it was still holding onto the branch from below. And it just sunk its talons into this branch. And Peterson says, then the mother started pecking at the talons <laughs> until it was so painful for the baby to let go and risk flying rather than hanging on. and Because the mature swallow knew something that the chick did not. The mature swallow knew that it would fly. And that there was no danger in making it do what it was designed to do. And Peterson, he actually goes on to compare this whole scenario to our lives and to our generosity. I want to show you this quote from the book. He says, Giving is what we do best. It is the air into which we were born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth. Some people try desperately to hold on to themselves to live for self. They look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of selfishness and self-centeredness. Can't you just picture us? Like, ah! The next slide says this, afraid to risk themselves on the untried wings of giving. Yet many people don't think they can live generously because they have never tried. Trusting Him means I may not know how it will work on the front end, but if God wants me to be generous, then He'll provide as I become a more generous person. God wants you to to have the life that He's designed for you to have. 
And so I just want to encourage you to keep taking steps of, of generosity and see how God works. I want to invite our worship team to, to join me back, back up on the stage and ask you to take out that connection card. As I wrap up, I want to just, uh, again, invite you to come back to the family Christmas service next week, either 9 a.m. or 10.30. And it's not too late to consider inviting someone, so we would love it if you would bring a guest. Every year we have guests from our family Christmas service. So maybe you've got family in town. Maybe it's a friend that would come to just a service like that. And you feel like it'll, it'll definitely be Christmas themed, the songs, the, the message. And so this would be a great opportunity to come. And so on the back of your connection card, there's a, a few next steps I want to draw your attention to. And you'll see these. You can just pull them all up right now. What is God asking of you as far as a response? It may be one of these things. It could be something entirely different. Here's a few suggestions. Determine to take a step towards, get, towards generosity this week. Maybe that's the commitment you need to make is say, I need to take that first step, step of it. just takes action. Or second, memorize Proverbs 11.24. Get that internalized so I can begin to mull on that and really keep that, some of the imagery of that verse. Or ask God for help in dealing with blank. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's um, close-handedness could be stinginess. What is it you need God's help in dealing with? And then the last is inviting someone. Let's, let's pray together. God, we, we just thank you again for the way you nudge us off the branch to trust you in so many areas. Lord, and, and as much as we'd like to control our life and to be kind of in charge of ourselves, Lord. Many of us here, we've, we've yielded to you and we've said, you be the boss. You be the Lord of my life. So for those that have done that, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you in every area of our life, including our, with our resources, Lord. You open up our heart to the many needs of people around us and even, even more towards your mission, God, and what you're wanting to do. We thank you for the season that we're reminded of your great love for us. Help us, Lord, not to live closed off from the world around us. Lord, help us to love you as we love the many people you've placed in our path. Just offer ourselves to you. For those that are here that have not yet yielded their lives to you, Lord, I pray that if you're, if they sense you're trying to get their attention or calling them to yourself, Lord, I pray that they would be getting clear on what it means to really follow you and get their questions answered, Lord, I pray that um, you'd really continue your work in the lives of those that that you're moving to that point of real faith and real trust in you. Pray for the many needs in our church right now, emotional, physical, health needs, financial needs, Lord, you know them all. We just submit them to you, God. You help us to trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.